Y'all ready to jump in the world? Say word, say yeah. Yes. All right, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter four. We're gonna read the last eight verses, 14 through 23. Philippians 4, 14 through 23. Paul is wrapping up the whole letter to the church that I kind of think is his favorite. He's wrapping the whole conversation up in a bow and he reads, it reads like this. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving or receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. And now, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The title of our message today is Give Some Momentum. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together today. God, would you speak through these words to our hearts that we might leave transformed and leave enamored by you. Amen. It's been a, it's been a fun journey walking through this book. I, I, um, we've now done, this is our third epistle that we've walked through from start to finish. And I feel like I'm finally just kind of hitting my stride on, on seeing these well all the way through. And I've, I've really had fun preaching through this, this message. I, I, I think one of the reasons I love this letter so much is, is simply because it, it really is all about a paradigm shift. It's Paul writing from prison, in pain, in peril, but with the single most honey-dripped words of joy you may ever read in the gospel. I mean, the way that he talks to this church that he loves so much, the way that he talks about his God that he loves so much, you would think he was already in heaven. I mean, it, I just love the way he puts big things into clear perspective when he says phrases like, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. When he says, I can do all things through Christ. All of these little phrases throughout the text that we walked through, some we knew well, some we just figured out we had no idea what they meant, but have got us to a place of, of I hope, seeing the scripture clearly, seeing our circumstances clearly, and getting to a place where perhaps we no longer have sort of, you know, the, the heart filled with the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ, but that they're all connected and we might even have the eyes of Christ. That, that the original readers of this letter, or maybe us today at Beacon, would sort of be able to navigate moving forward from this day with a new perspective altogether that sort of says, no matter what comes my way, I'm good. I'm really good. And it doesn't mean that I'm naive or that life's gonna be all rainbows and lollipops, but it, it means that no matter what comes my way, if God is still on the throne and he is, and he still has my heart and he does, well, then I still win. And I feel like as 
the apostle wraps up this letter, what he's, what he's trying to do in a moment in just the last few sentences that he has with them is to put them on, on track to take action. You know, if we look back at the letter, I mean, he spent some time commending them. You've done so well. You've been so generous. You've been so good. Great work here. Good job there. But he's also pushed them and urged them to do better. This is an area where you need improvement. This is some things that I see in your body that need addressing. He's, he's bounced back and forth between good job and you can do better. Yeah. And I think that's the right role for any leader in our life is someone who can, who can speak life to you and to celebrate you and to encourage you, but also to tell you like it is when you ain't getting it right. And, and we as Christians, we as believers, we should long for those kind of leaders in our life. You should want people who celebrate you, amen, but not just people who celebrate you. Because if everywhere you go, people's going, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> And you're going to be making some bad choices with a lot of cheerleaders about those choices. The inverse is true, is that you, you should want people who are earnest in the truth they speak to you. But not just mean truth, right? Some of us love the word so much. We love when we, oh, depraved man that I am, wretched sinner, I'm so bad. I, that's true. But, you know, I mean, get you some nice people too, Amen. I, I paint this picture because, you know, leaders like this are rare. We err on both sides of the ball. I've had leaders in my corner who just no matter what I pitch to them, they're like, that's perfect. And I'm like, I know this isn't perfect. I was open for a little refining in this conversation. <laughs> I've also had people who just, you know, there's just always a hammer. Every idea that comes, is just, that's a no, that's a no, that's a no. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm trying to navigate this with you because I want to tell you that the moment you find someone like that who's invested in you, who's both a clapper and a hugger and a poker, <laughs> stick with them. And if you feel called to leadership, aspire to that. Don't aspire to be one or the other. Aspire to be both. You say, Pastor, that sounds impossible. <laughs> it is. Oh, my gosh. It's really hard, but it is exactly what we're called to if we're called to grow, amen? And as Paul closes this letter and he does some commending and some urging, some challenging and some inviting like a good leader should, what he's, he's doing at the end here, I believe, is he's, he's made a call to this body of believers and to us today to to trust the Lord more than they did when they began the process. And it is my prayer as your pastor that as we wrap up this series, if you were to think back when we started in February, it would be my earnest desire that you would be like, you know what, I can be honest with you, I trust Jesus more now, having read this scripture, having come to understand that I can go through hell, but I go through hell in Christ Jesus. And as he closes the letter, I believe what he's doing is calling us to maturity as he mentions all the things that they've done for him and, and hints at what good leaders are like, I think he's pushing every believer who would read these words to walk into a greater sense of spiritual maturity. And I believe that he, from prison, is writing to us to say, it's time to be mature. No more baby Christian stuff. It is time to grow up. 
And like I'm ready to tell my sons in just two and four years, grow up and get a job. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean like the gospel is just like your dad. When he says like, you grow up, you you gotta get to work. I mean, spiritual maturity is marked by spiritual service. If you really believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, then you should treat him like the land Lord and you should be serving in his kingdom, expanding his kingdom, putting your hand to the plow to bear much fruit for the king. And I believe that Paul writes this letter beautifully, gently, tenderly to people who've been up and who've been down. And he says, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to be bad, but don't you worry. Trust me. He's so worthy to be trusted. Yes. And they say, yes. And he says, great, get to work. Do not just be the kind of Christians who say, yes, he's good. Come back next week and hear another good movie about it. (laughs) Write me another poem. No, he says, there's no, what if there are no more poems? What if there are no more stories? What if, what if, what if you never got a chance to open your Bible again? Is there enough in here to send you out there and get to work? And that's the call to spiritual maturity. He says, I've walked you through the ups and the downs, the joy and the pain, the suffering and the goodness so that you might get to a place to say, I can weather the storm and I'm going into the storm because there's people in the storm and they need to be pulled out. And I think that's what he's doing here in this moment. It could be easy to just read through these last several verses as him essentially just saying, thanks, love you. You're so sweet to me, thank you. Thanks for sending Epaphroditus. We send our haze, you send your haze. Bye. But I think he uses his words very carefully here to encourage us to mature, to be on mission, and to build some momentum together. Notice in verse 14 and 16, he is marking again for the third time in this letter that this church has partnered with him in his mission. And he would encourage us in this moment for each one of us today to partner with the preachers. That might be my first point in the message today, which is to partner with those who are doing the good work. Let me read you the verse again. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Me, Paul, the preacher, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I was going out to start churches from scratch and I left Macedonia, nobody would partner with me. Even when I was in Thessalonica, it was only you who helped me. And it's not unnoticed by Paul who takes care of him as he goes to do something nearly impossible. And I would push each one of us today to consider this. Ministry, (laughs) ready? Is so hard. Paul knows it. That's why he writes it to each. I mean, he doesn't have to include these words, right? He could have just said, good job. But no, he throws Thessalonica under the bus. Did you see that? He's like, you guys are so good. They're not so good. But you guys are good, right? What he's doing in this moment is he's really kind of addressing, like, I got to be honest with you, this work that God's called me to, it's rewarding. And it matters. But it's not easy. And he says, and I'm really grateful that you've cared for me. I want to put something in perspective for you because the reason that this matters to the Apostle Paul is that loving on leaders is really rare. It's rare today, and it was rare then. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of honor that's pomp and circumstance, you know, when a preacher has like a James Brown kind of cape. I'm not talking about that, though I have yearned for a cape like that from time to time. 
I'm not talking about the sort of honor and care for your pastor that's mostly in show. We come up on stage and we decorate and we throw a pageant and that sort of thing. I, I gotta be honest, with you, that's fine, but that is actually not what most leaders would want. Most people who give their life to the service of the ministry actually just kind of want to be seen sometimes. And, and, and I don't mean be seen by the masses, but be seen by you. Like, hey, thanks for taking your Saturday to be with us. I know you worked all day yesterday and we're with our family and I know our family's kind of crazy. Thanks for loving on us. And Paul mentions in this moment just how, how valuable it was for him to be cared for. And this is important for us because I want you to understand how God sees your pastors and leaders. Don't worry, I'm not just preaching about myself. I'm gonna turn it for a sec. In Jeremiah chapter three, when, when the prophet is clearly condemning the behavior of the people of God, and he says, turn back ruthless and faithless Israel. In verse 15, he says, and when you do, I, God, will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You know, I don't consider myself to be an expert on pastoring. I really don't. Um, but because God has allowed me to, to stay alive in the first four years of church planting endeavors, um, I've had many of my peers and colleagues sort of like, hey, can we talk? And I'm like, of course, man. What, tell me everything God's doing in your life. And, and, um, and it and inevitably ends up that I get to encourage them. And, and one of the things that I do to encourage my friends in leadership and, and pastoral roles is to remind them, ready? That God loves his people so much that he gives his people pastors as his best gift. Jeremiah 3 says, I give them pastors after my own heart. It means that the pastors are the gift. And I don't often think of myself that way, but I do think about every other guy fighting tooth and nail to lead a congregation in spite of all odds as God's best plan for the lives of those people. It is the reason he gathers people under one prophet, under one seer, under one speaker, so that God can choose to speak through him perfectly to them. Pastors are the gift. And that never gets an amen in church. Well, it's all right, don't worry. Here's why. It sounds self-serving when I say it, doesn't it? It just reads that way. Even though you know I work hard not to be like that, and I'm, I'm not like that. But if I stand before you and say, ready? I'm the gift. <laughs> if you brought a guest today, you're like, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. We won't, we'll go somewhere else next week, I'm bad. It seems weird when a pastor tries to tell you See me, oh, appreciate me. And because it seems weird, we never say it. And so when Paul writes it, he doesn't say it as an urging. He says it as a thank you. He says, you know, I, I've, I've been doing this for a while and um, I'm not gonna stop because Jesus has my whole heart. But you know, you guys are the only ones that love me. And I love you all the more for it. And if I could urge you today, if you could just pretend that this was the Lord speaking to you and not your pastor, I would tell you today, partnering with the preachers is God's best plan for his body's 
to gain some momentum together, and it will keep your preachers alive. Now, I get to leave after this message, and so I get to, I get to talk about our pastors. See, Pastor Rob and, and his wife, Bree, you know, they're our, our only two full-time staff members. And today, they're not here in church. They're at a big home church down in Centennial. There's a a gathering of very wealthy families who prefer not to go to church, but they have church in in these homes. And and they've been invited to speak into these homes in an effort to fundraise, because you might not know this, but that couple who have five children who are on full-time staff, they raise their own salary to serve you. They go out and ask other people to give them money so they can serve you. And, and, and I have to be honest with you, like, I'm, I'm so godly inspired by pastors like that. If ever there were a gift in our congregation, that couple is a gift. So when you see them next Sunday, when Pastor Rob preaches, you better shout him down. Because next Sunday, he's going to be speaking into you. And, and this Sunday, he's asking other people, can you help me speak into Beacon? That's a gift. Or I think about Pastor Ty. Pastor Ty, who's had more than his fair share of time and leadership, he's been a worship pastor and a pastor of creative arts for decades in our city. And he's been recognized throughout our city for his leadership ability. He leads one of the most dynamic worship groups in our city, and they travel throughout the country. They're on the bill. You see the sign outside. They're going to be on the stage with some of the biggest names. And when he came to Beacon, He served at Beacon without an expectation that he would be paid or compensated or even recognized. He said, God told me to come here, and so we're just here. And I said, I don't have any money. (laughs) Because we were were pretty new. And I was like, we have $4. I can give you one of them. (laughs) And he said, nah, man. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so they just served and grew and built teams without money because God gave us, Pastor Ty and Janine, as a gift. Amen. I think about Pastor Bill. Yo. I mean, have you ever had somebody just love you like Pastor Bill? He's in the back. He's wearing a camo coat, so that's why you can't see him. <laughs> Pastor Bill and I met four or five years ago at the Denver Dream Center, and he told me a story. He'd, he'd, he'd trained, he'd been to seminary, he'd been ready to serve the Lord in full time, but God had sort of derailed it, and he'd been in enough church environments where he wasn't really convinced the church was the place he wanted to be. And then the Lord sort of yoked us together and we walked tooth and nail and step and step and side by side. And I don't know if you've met either of us, but we are not the same, (laughs) right? He's a vegetarian. I I only eat meat, right? (laughs) He's gentle. I'm a little bombastic. He's sweet and thoughtful. I forgot my own birthday, amen? But something happened in our hearts when God began to birth this vision for Beacon. And he said, hey, I just want you to know, I don't know what the Lord has in store for us, but it will be us. And he stepped into the role of our launch team coordinator. I mean, he, he's literally worked full time for this church for four years, and he has never been paid anything. 
You may not know that because he's so involved in this church. But over the course of the last four years, I know he's taken you to dinner. I know he's cried with you. I know he's laughed with you. I know him and Kate have come alongside you. And I know every woman in this room has said, where does Kate get those clothes? Come on now. (laughs) They've inspired us and loved us and encouraged us and walked alongside us because they are God's gift to us. And next month when I return, I get the deep pleasure to announce the next gift that God has given to our church. I won't tell you now. But as soon as I say it, you'll go, yeah, of course. There's a couple in our midst who have been serving, not for the attention, not for the compensation, but because God has called them and he has chosen them to be a gift for us. And so when I read you from Jeremiah 3.15 and say pastors are the gift, Ready? I don't really think I'm much of a gift, but we got some solid gifts in the house. And I want you to encourage them when you see them, and I want you to love them, and I want you to recognize that when Paul writes to the church in Philippians, and he says, I I just, I got to tell you, thank you. Because I don't get a lot of love doing this job. I want that to fall into your heart so that the next time you see them, you can say, thank you. You deserve all the love for this job. Amen? Partner with the preachers. God's doing something here and amongst them. Amen? And he's doing it with us together. Now, it's important that we focus on being supportive and getting behind some of the mission and and some of the momentum that has been led by God's pastors and leaders in this church and other churches all around. But I also want to push you to ask yourself some big questions about about you, about whether you might be one of them. I, I want to read verses 17 and 18 through for you real quick so that you see, see what it really means to be the kind of leader worth investing in. Because the question here is, if I'm telling you to partner with the preachers, you might be asking, you know, like, what does that mean? Or, or, or if, I, if I give money or time or energy, if I walk alongside them, what happens if they let me down? How do I know if they have the right intentions? Paul shows us in verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift that you give me, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, I've already received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The picture of the good leader is one whose aim is us. You're going to meet a lot of leaders in your life, be they bosses or organizational captains or pastors at other churches. And I want you to tell you that everyone who's been born with some innate sense of leadership has to learn over time, have to foster how to grow that, that gift into an art, into a skill set. And, and because leadership can be of such great value to the kingdom, leaders are always under attack. They're always pushed to lose their way. And the motives and the myriad ways that they can get distracted are ever-present in the life of someone who's walking in their leadership gifting. And so you're going to meet some leaders over the course of your life. You're going to meet some pastors who you think have you in mind and then discover that they, they don't. Well, you, maybe you've already met somebody before and you thought it was all about us and then you found out it was, it was something else. And in the church, it's, 
It's always there. And we, we get distracted as leaders by good things that we pretend are God things. I mean, one of the biggest things that most leaders in the church world get distracted by is attendance. It's a validating experience for me to be here and have many of you here. I, I get to say, oh, good, I guess I matter, right? I mean, that's just what the enemy says. And if we have a low attendance day, the enemy's like, you're a loser. And you're like, eh, you know, I, it's just a, it's just human. And so the enemy will use that to change the motives. You'll have many leaders who start out good. They care about the right things, but over time, they realize they've figured out a way to grow, and so growth becomes their mission, and you become a cog in the machine. Most of us, we don't figure it out until much later, and we've invested, and then we get our feelings hurt, right? Or you've, you know, everybody who's a non-believer will make this argument against pastors that they're only in it for the money, Right? You have friends that post on social media, I'm sure, with a picture of some giant house, and they're like, this is Joel Osteen's church. And you're like, or this is his house, you know? And you're like, it's not even, his, his house is way bigger than that. Um, <laughs> you have no idea. And they'll, and they'll use that as an argument. You see, this is proof that pastors and leaders are just in it for the money. And I, I wanna tell you today, 99% of pastors 99% of pastors, leaders here, are middle class or below. Ready for this? 70% of America's pastors are bivocational. They work another job. 50%, 52, are not paid at all. The average church size in America is 81 people. And 81 people typically can't support a pastor, so he works. So when you see somebody complain about money-hungry pastors, I want you to know, like, that is the enemy. Because I ain't met one yet. I haven't. Every one of us is dealing with the same things you got, which is like, how big is the credit card bill this month? What? How do I? Okay. Every one of us that I've met is really trusting God for many of the same things. And I believe that God does that by design so that I can walk with you, so that Chanel and I can have a real marriage with good ups and good downs and walk through it and learn it. That God gives us kids who get to mess up because it's good for our kids to learn the hard way. So I don't have perfect kids. And when you have regular kids, I go, I don't know what to tell you. You got some messed up kids. God gives most of us the gifts to his congregations, blessing to live a real life. And so when someone attacks pastors or leaders with blanket statements that they're just in it for this or that, I want you to kill that notion in your head. Don't let it take seed. Even if you've met one yourself. Because even if you've been hurt by one, doesn't mean the next one is the same. And I don't want you to walk into this season or the next season mad at your last pastor and take it out on me. Amen. <laughs> or because I'm human, mad at me and take it out on them. And Paul says, but here's how you can figure out if the leaders that you're with have the right heart. He says, not that I cared about the gift, but that I cared about the fruit that increases to your credit, the hallmark of a leader that's worth investing and the kind of leader that you should aspire to be is one for whom the us and the produce of us is the mission, the motive, the profit, the dividend, and the proof of whether it works or not. 
People will say, how big is your church? You can say, you know, we dedicated 23 babies this spring. And they're like, no, no, how many people? Why, who cares? Who cares about the number of people? Well, well, how big is your budget? Because, you know, pastors do this to each other. How big is the budget at your church? I'm like, I have, what? Who cares? One year, we did $100,000 as a church. And it was our first year. And I was like, well, it was a good run, Shani. We had fun because it's expensive to rent facilities in the city. But then, you know, the next year when we were believing God for a building, we raised $2 million in one month. So I just use that one whenever a pastor asks us what our budget is. (laughs) About $2 million a month. Here's why. Because those measurements are worldly measurements, and we're not in to measure the kingdom of God by worldly measures. It's always going to be inadequate. It's always going to miss the mark. The scales will never balance. What's your church like? You should come and see it. Did you see this worship band? It looked like the united colors of Benetton. It looked like heaven. Have you met somebody in this church who's different than you, who's from a different walk of life, who has imparted into you some sense of joy or peace or glory or comfort? Have you prayed with somebody in this church? Are you in a small group with people who aren't like you, but you call family now? When someone asks, what's your church like? You say, my church is like heaven and God's changing me in it. How many go? Don't care. (laughs) And if you care, you might be missing the mark. The hallmark of a good leader is whether they care about us. Do they know us, our needs? The last couple of weeks, members of our church have said, CB, pastor, are you ready for your sabbatical? I'm like, I think so. They're like, are you nervous? And I'm like, yeah, totally nervous. But not about our team. I'm nervous that I'm gonna have a tough time not answering the phone. Because I don't know if you know this, but you, you can have my phone number. And, and if you've connected with me, you mean my phone number's in my email and you can, you can call me anytime you want. And most of you don't. <laughs> and some of you do. And I love it. I just, I just love it. I love, I love that I get to be a part of your life. And you're never an inconvenience. It's never too much for me. So I signed up for. I'm all in. I'm only nervous that I got to be away from you for four weeks. I don't know what I'm going to do. Chanel's like, I know exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> That's the hallmark of a good leader. One worth investing is that they care about us, that there's relationship here, that there's depth here, that it's not about how wide, but about how deep we can go. And then Paul pushes us here in this moment. At the end of this chapter in verse 19, what he's doing is trying to encourage us to be missional in our faith, to be momentum building, to get behind the preachers, to support those with the right motives, to maybe even step into the roles with the right motives. And he addresses a question that most of us have that holds us back from service. And in this room right now, there's a bunch of us who serve. In this room, there's a bunch of us who don't. And the reason that most of us hold back from service is we're afraid of what we might lose out on. I I don't know if I have enough time. But you you know that we make time for the things that matter to us. And so when we say we don't have enough time, what we've said is I've built a life 
around the things that I care about, and I'm not sure that this is more important yet. I'm just not. And it's no knock on you. It's a push for each one of us to consider, am I making time for the things that I care about most? And am I thinking from a scarcity mindset that says, if I do church, I don't get this. What he's doing is really just kind of outlining God's answer to that question in every area of Christian life, which is to say, give and it will be given back. It's a classic truth, verse 19. And my God, just in case you're wondering, will supply how many? Every, all, sufficient, every one of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I love that verse, don't you? We say it all the time. It's used in benedictions and doxologies. It's way we zipper up a conversation or, or it's, it's even used in prayers just to sort of encourage you in the last moment. But boy, what a power-packed sentence. My God, my God, and your God, when you give, shall supply, might supply, maybe supplies, no, shall, that's a promise, shall supply all of your needs, everything you need. Here's what he's saying in this moment. I think Paul is trying to write to this church and to say, now here's the deal, because you don't maybe know this. You don't know maybe that Paul is writing this and we believe that it is one of, if not his very last letter to prison. He doesn't know yet, but he's gonna die in about two to three years. And so he's writing his sort of farewell. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. But I want to encourage you to be on mission and to build some momentum together. Your church can't die because I'm gone. And he says, and if you're wondering whether or not you have what it takes, maybe as a last moment of poetic relation between the two of them, he says, if you're wondering if God can supply you, he says, let me tell you about my God. He writes from this position in prison to say, you remember the same God who brought me through three missional journeys throughout the entire region in which we lived? I've been stoned and chased and shipwrecked and bit by a snake. You know that God who brought me through all that? My God, if you're worried, don't. My God shall supply all of your needs. And we always ask, okay, cool. I hope he has enough. Because <laughs> I got some big bills, Pastor. Don't worry. My God shall supply all of my needs according to not your riches, not the world's riches, but according to his riches and glory, a glory filled of riches that you and I have yet to see. There will be a day that we walk through the gates upon the streets of gold, and you will be enraptured by the simple majesty of it all. There's no way that you and I could ever fully understand what it is that we're about to experience when we walk into the manifest presence of God the Father with Jesus at his right hand and see pleasures forevermore, mansions and rooms that my Father has prepared for us. It is from that source of wealth, my King owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that allows him to look at your circumstance. And when you say, you know, I want to step up in the next season of ministry, and I want to go after my calling, I'm just not sure that if I go all in, what if I miss out on this or that? Or what if I neglect this? Or what if I have to let go of some parts of my life that I really like? And Paul says, good because right now you're holding on to the riches 
of this world. And there's something so much greater. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He says, given it will be given back. So let me put some skin on this. For four weeks, I'm gonna be gone. And I, I come back at the end of June. And um, we're gonna start a brand new series uh, on Jonah. We're gonna look at the life of Jonah. And I hope you're here. <laughs> but I have a sense that you will do something greater over the next four weeks. I know that the Lord has called me to take a break, to take a deep breath. But what I think partly what the Lord is also doing is to remove me so that most of you, not the least of which is our pastors, can step up and step out. It is your time. It's your church. And if you've ever done a Zoom with me or a phone call and you call our church my church and I correct you and go, hold on, it's your church. It's your time. This is it. Let's let God work through you in a measure by which you've never seen before. I want you to pour all of yourself in it, your time, your talents, and your treasures. This should be the year that Beacon is no longer CB and Beacon, but Beacon, who's the pastor? Doesn't matter. It's our church, man. We got, we got great stuff going on. We got a bunch of pastors. We got great leadership. We got phenomenal ministry. And I want you to come to this thing that God's doing through me at Beacon. This is your season. And my prayer is that when I return, you guys are so gosh darn good at doing this thing. I'll just be like, do I, do I fit? Where do I go? Right? I have a sense that the Lord is transforming us this summer to who we're called to be in the next season. Cleave you with this. Our year, our, our word for the year this year was momentum. I felt like in November the Lord just said, Watch out, the wheels are gonna start rolling a little bit faster. And it was right when we kind of came into Comedy Works, and I was like, faster in a in a bay. Okay. In a dungeon? But I don't know if you've sensed it. There's a there's a life in this room that if I'm being totally honest, I've never been a part of before. And I've been a part of some cool things. But I mean, I've never felt so loved or seen. And I think that's what the Lord is doing in this season. Our momentum this year to finish it out is to build an environment for people who have never felt this to find it. And he wants to do it through you. Amen? Let me pray for you and then we're gonna worship one last song. Heavenly Father, we love you. You're a good God, mighty God, holy God, worthy and righteous. And Father, today in this season, as we close out this letter, we hear you calling us to a greater sense of spiritual maturity. Not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And God, for each and every one of us in this room right now who has that that, that push back to say, I'm just not sure, I'm not ready, I don't know where to serve, I don't know where to get plugged in, I'm not, I don't even wanna give, I'm just, not, I'm just not yet. God, I'm asking that you would overcome every objection with a sweet sense of your grace. Would you overwhelm us? Would you permeate us? Would you wrap us in your arms and say, you're home and it's time to build your home. It's time to call people home. It's time to build a home for people who've been homeless and lost and orphaned by this world. God, would you do it through us? Would you convict us of the days 
days when we lived in lethargy and laziness? Would you push us to a day where we're empowered by your Holy Spirit, where your joy is overflowing, where your love flows out of us, where we bear the fruits of the Spirit and people say, I don't know what it is about you, but I want that Jesus. God, do it in us today. God, let this be the season where we give some momentum. And we see you all the more. Amen. Pastor. Church, if everyone can just stand to your feet. I believe that I'm not the only one that uh, that feels this way. But what a powerful word, message, as we give some momentum. Um, I would, I tell him all the time, I'm like, bro, I don't ever want your job. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want it. I, I, I get, I don't want it. Uh, but I'm so thankful for you because you truly demonstrate what it really means to be a pastor. Uh, I know that God has his hand on you. And I also know that you have a case of the can't help it. I can't help but to answer the phone call. I can't help but to reply to a text message. But I want to encourage you and I want the church as we give momentum. I want us to be able to give momentum to him and to his family because this job is a tough job. And very oftentimes it gets overlooked. I, I was just I was just yelling at someone the other day. <laughs> and I was like, more people need to appreciate pastors. They need to do it. And I just want to say, and I believe I can speak on the behalf of Beacon that we appreciate you. So pastor, you always tell people to stretch their hands as you pray for people and I just want people to stretch your hands towards pastor as we pray for him father we thank you Lord God right now Lord God for the call that you placed on his life Lord God there is no denying that it's your doing and because it's your doing father it's marvelous in our eyes now, God, I pray, Father, right now in Jesus' name, God, that as he prepared to truly do what God called him to do, which is rest in you, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, God, that you would ease every mind, every trick that the enemy would try to bring upon him, Lord God. I pray that that, that stuff don't even come up, Lord God. That he just kicks back and, and watch TV, God. That he just kick back and just relax, Lord God, and, and, and rest in you and also enjoy his family. God, I'm so excited what you're about to do, God, in his life or when he comes back to us. 
Lord God, we're thankful that he's coming back to us. And that when he comes back, Lord God, there's going to be such a renewed purpose and a renewed word, Lord God, that we're all saying that, yeah, 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 this thing was of, of God. So, God, I thank you for Pastor C.B., Lord God. I pray right now that you would keep him and cover him, Lord God, from the crown of his head until the soles of his feet. God, charter out his path during this time of rest. In Jesus' name.